and welcome to Worst Church Ever, Episode 2. We are the progressive Christian podcast with zero aspirations, a complete lack of urgency. Sometimes there are dogs barking in the background, and what we have here is what our fundamentalist neighbor calls a lukewarm level of commitment. Jesus said that the first shall be last, so our goal here is simple. We're racing to the bottom in a pietistic nosedive, and we won't stop until we're dead last. Thank you for joining us in the plunge. Now, all kidding aside, Jesus is right, not that he needs our confirmation. When I was a boy, and by that I mean when I was in college, my university staff worker taught us that the cross is, among other things, a symbol of downward mobility. He said Christians need to have the right public priorities, and that we're called, of course, to live them. In the years since, we've parted ways politically, culturally, socially, I'm sure, but I take what he was saying to mean this for me now. The cross of Jesus Christ upends the story of empire. It lifts up the true story that our highest calling is not our status or success in the eyes of Jerusalem or Rome or Madison Avenue, but in solidarity with and support of people on the margins. That is, after all, the vision of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. Folks like my neighbor, who I talked about in yesterday's episode, and I don't mean to disparage, but folks like him still believe that C.S. Lewis, deep, deep magic demanding the lion's blood. If that's true, the deep magic is God, and the lion, wild and good though he is, is subordinate to someone or something else's metaphysics. Even N.T. Wright, in an otherwise brilliant talk at Wheaton about the meaning of the cross, seems stuck on the idea that only blood can cleanse the temple, although it's entirely possible I'm hearing him wrong. He has a lot of very good things to say in that talk, which you can find on YouTube, about what the cross is and what the cross isn't, and about the traditional, and he means truly traditional, original, first century, New Testament understanding of what the world to come is all about. And that brings me back to fundamentalism and most strains of evangelicalism. It's all a rescue mission. This world can go to hell as long as Christians don't. Of course, the message of the Gospels is that Jesus initiates the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's language, here and now, and that we are meant to join it. In the words of the late, magnificent Jim Steinman, brought to life by Bonnie Tyler, forever's gonna start tonight. Now, when I'm now not out in the backyard building tents or pastoring a small church, you might and often will find me administering the ins and outs of my family's family business. That usually finds me in the innards of QuickBooks, Facebook Creator Studio, Gmail, Google Calendar, Zoom, or in the line at the drive-up window of the bank, or deep, deep, deep in the guts of online bill pay. Sometimes it finds me running out for inventory, and sometimes I'm in the thick of a busy lunch rush at a Catholic nursing home off PA Route 11. That was the situation last week. The folks from the independent living side contracted our food truck, and we had a nice time up there in the mountains. The facility has nuns on staff, and some sisters came out to eat. No, our staples are not loaves and fishes. Mankind lives not by bread alone, nor omega-3 fatty acids. I made a cheesesteak for one of the sisters, plain with extra pickles. A minute later, she was on the ground. Lunch was crushed against her habit. She had tripped on a step she'd probably aced a million times before. I went out to check on her and offered her a new sandwich free of charge. Our sandwiches are hefty to begin with. Maybe the weight had thrown her off. 
But even if my heavy hand was not to blame, it was still the right thing to do. She demurred, and I think she was embarrassed. She went inside to clean up, and I said, come back over when you're ready, and I can get you fed. She came back a little later and tried to pay again. I said, sister, please. She said, no. And I said, sister, I'm a pastor. We have the same boss. And that made her smile. And then, and only then, did she seem comfortable with the free replacement. It was a marvelous moment of ecumenical grace. Grace for her, I hope, but certainly grace for me. The point of all of this is not that I'm some Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff type. He was a a heel, despite the name. Or some kind of red-faced brother love. The point is, there are many kinds of Christians, and we're better gasp together than apart. Anyway... That reminds me again of the conversation with my neighbor, the one with the peanuts and the parade. I said, listen, brother, you're a smart guy. You know this so-called liberal view of scripture isn't new. I didn't make it up. It's the balance of the Christian tradition. He said something about wide is the gate and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and narrow is the road, the road, the road, etc., etc., etc. And I said, I could say the same thing about your tradition, dude, the wide, wide path of disenfranchisement, of excluding gays, not ordaining women, on and on and on. He said again about my interesting way of viewing scripture. Speaking of, I had the idea that we'd start looking at the Bible on this terrible progressive progressive Christian pod we call worst church ever. But where to start? The beginning seems like as good a place as any, but which beginning? Do we start with the prophets, the books that were most likely written first? Or do we start with the revelation of the name of God to Moses in the Exodus? Do we start with Genesis, written a few hundred years after books like Amos, but ostensibly from older word-of-mouth traditions? Do we start with Mark, or with John's breathtaking prologue, or with the ancient Christian hymn embedded in the second chapter of Philippians? The Narrative Lectionary, a resource I like for many reasons, starts us off in Genesis, and I'm fine with that as long as we remember what we're really doing. The narrative lectionary presupposes a unifying narrative that culminates in the life of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as we remember that that's already a particular way of deciding something about the text before we even take the Bible off the shelf. Remember, too, that the Bible itself says, along with our friend Karl Barth, that Jesus, not the Bible, is the Word of God. Remember that the scandal of Christianity is, at base, the claim that Jesus lives. Remember that we're the worst church ever in part because we think if Jesus lives, we don't really need the book. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Next time, we'll start to take a look at the opening of Genesis, which, if you're looking for proof texts about anything, is frustrating from the start. Is it set in the beginning when God created everything, or is it set in the beginning when God started to transform pre-existing chaos into order. That and more next time. Please consider subscribing to the podcast for updates on new episodes and more. Thanks again.